It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Tennis Director, Australia's favourite online tennis store with fast delivery and great prices. Free delivery on orders over $150. Just visit their website, tennisdirect.com.au and you can get a 10% discount store-wide. Just use the promo code FIRSTSERVE10. That's FIRSTSERVE10. GLG Greenlife Group, celebrating 25 years. Your open space specialists at glgcorp.com. The first serve, your home of tennis. Welcome, everybody, to the first serve. It is our final uh, Monday night for 2020 before we uh, launch again in 2021, whenever the tennis season is going to start. Uh, Brett Phillips with you. 1300 736 736 to contribute. Off the top, I've got a ripper prize. We've been promoting it on our socials to give away to our best caller tonight. We're going to do this in sort of the first 15 minutes or so. We'll allow you to talk back at the end. We've got a couple of chats we're going to bring you in the middle, all thanks to Yonex, who are a great supporter of ours, a big trolley bag for a player, a coach, a tennis lover. You'll fit about 15, 20 rackets in there. You'll fit everything you need to take you around the world. It's a great prize, uh, someone uh, who might want it for Christmas or for your good self. It'll fit everything you need into your tennis travels. So I need you to make a contribution tonight and bring something to the table. Also, I want to announce tonight, joining the First Serve is First Serve Tennis Sunscreen. It's been developed specifically for tennis. The ads have been running on SEN uh, all day. You can head to sunblessedsunscreens.com.au for your First Serve Tennis Sunscreen. Simply order online for the summer. Use the discount code SEN. Our stock will be available around the 21st of December to arrive for uh, Christmas. You can put your orders in right now. Get in early. So we're going to throw in a couple of bottles for you, plus a cap, along with a Yonex trolley bag for our best caller uh, tonight. You'll also uh, discover when you head to Sunbless Sunscreens, they've got First Tee Golfer Sunscreen, First Wicket Cricket Sunscreen and the First In Lawn Bowl Sunscreen developed specifically for those sports as well. So sunblessedsunscreens.com .au is where you need to head to order and use that discount code SCN. It's great to have them on board uh, for uh, not only uh, tonight's show as we launch, uh, but right into uh, 2021. one 736 736 Your thoughts on the summer of tennis? You can speculate and pontificate and everything else. We'll try and give you a few answers, but the decision still might be a week away. Who knows? I mean, this is dragging on uh, some time. Uh, your favourite highlight for 2020? Predictions for 2021? Uh, share with us anything you like. I know there was a bit of Victorian Premier League tennis uh, over the weekend. There's UTR events going on uh, right across the country. So if you want to be a winner tonight, make a contribution. Bag, sunscreen, cap can be all yours. one 736 736 Australian Open 2021 in the summer of tennis. Well, this is the latest information that I have tonight, which probably hasn't changed a lot from what I put on social media over the weekend, uh, speaking to 
uh, different radio channels across uh, the last uh, few days, and everything right now is in the hands of the Victorian government, who are naturally taking their time to work through the complexities of allowing such a large amount of internationals to uh, come into Melbourne, which would no doubt have uh, Daniel Andrews, his team, and all the health officials naturally on edge, knowing they can't afford any sort of quarantine slip-up on the back of what happened with the quarantine bungle heading into and, and leading to the second wave uh, here in Melbourne. It's certainly my understanding that the, the Pakistani cricketer situation in New Zealand has added a little bit to their worry. I mean, they've been cautious all the way through here, but that just adds... Um, some further thought as to what's happened with a much smaller travelling party of 53 and seven COVID cases. How many will the government let in? Uh, That's to be ratified. And what will the quarantine set up look like? As I've mentioned on radio in the last week and via social media, it's my understanding that that 14-day compulsory quarantine window would be around January 7 to 21. The ability to practise in quarantine ticked off. When I say ticked off, yes, it hasn't been released publicly, but I believe there is, and and I know there are differing reports around, so I can only go on what I've been told confidentially, that there is a in-principle agreement for practice to happen. Now, that's taking some time to work through just how exactly that quarantine training bubble is to be set up. The players and t- uh, tours simply won't accept players uh, being confined to their hotel room for two weeks with no ability to prepare for a Grand Slam. That is a more than reasonable demand. The government, I'm sure, would understand that. And my understanding is they do. And they want the Australian Open to go ahead. But they'd be wrestling with ensuring that this is done correctly. We've seen today Hotel Quarantine 2 announced uh, for Australian citizens returning from overseas to begin next Monday, where this time it'll be Victoria Police 24-7 ensuring there are no repeats of the bungles of Hotel Quarantine 1. No private security firms this time around. And that is the first priority of the government, to get this right, to ensure the health and safety of Victorians to allow nothing to jeopardise us experiencing a potential third wave that can affect us from having a normal life, which we've all returned to and have craved for so many months. So the start date... Still to be confirmed. Is it going to be delayed a week, January 25, two weeks, Feb 1? Reports certainly from various outlets in the last few days pointing towards February 1, and and that is certainly the information that I have as well. So if the players finish their quarantine around January 21, having been allowed to practice and train, can that suffice as preparation for a Grand Slam? There is no doubt they prefer a lead-up event, the players, but I'm told that wasn't a non-negotiable, but it would certainly uh, be more than ideal. So my understanding is the doubles and the wheelchair event wouldn't be sacrificed. We know the AO Junior Tournament uh, won't go ahead, uh, which is 128 players all up plus the support personnel. And a big decision still to be made on the AO qualifying event, which is another 500 to 600 people all up. Now, the tour's view is there is no point having qualifying if other additional challenger and ITF events won't be allowed to give players playing and earning opportunities whilst in Australia. And that makes perfect sense. I mean, you come and quarantine for two weeks, lose first-round qualifying, and you're on a plane out of here. So the two is certainly um, pretty steadfast. It's got to be, and Tennis Australia, I'm sure, would be, and they've been trying to create a summer of tennis. I mean, normally, in in a normal year, it'd be four weeks and playing the lead-ups and uh, having a full month of earning opportunities whilst you're in Australia. So... 
one option that uh, certainly has been discussed is to have the qualifying event in Dubai as an option. But clearly not ideal for the strong Aussie representation who would have to fly there, ride their luck and then come back and serve another two weeks of quarantine. For many uh, that have already done and are in the middle of doing it, having just returned from Europe. So I'm told it's probably less than a 50% chance of qualifying going ahead, which is disappointing. Everyone wants the qualifying to go ahead because it's those players well down the pecking order who need to start earning regularly from the game again. I mean, these are players that have never played in a Grand Slam or just uh, every now and then make a Grand Slam appearance. To be able to put $60,000 in your pocket at the start of the year is huge for those players. The US Open didn't have qualifying, but they did have a financial compensation package uh, for the players, and that would have to be agreed to if uh, qualifying uh, couldn't go ahead. So it's complex. When is the decision going to be made? Well, we thought it was last week. We thought tomorrow looked like it was going to be D-Day because the tours have certainly indicated through their communication channels the last few days. They wanted to have their respective calendars uh, out for uh, the first quarter of 2021. But this might be a decision that is made later this week or maybe next week. The Victorian government is going at the beat of their drum, not everyone else's. Everyone else wants it absolutely ratified. Let's get on with it. Let's get this summer happening. But you can understand, maybe for those listening in interstate tonight, you might think, why is, why is the government taking so long here? Well... If you know what we've been through in Victoria, you can understand the cautious approach. And I uh, certainly don't begrudge them from wanting to get every I dotted and every T crossed to make sure that there is uh, no chance that bringing in so many internationals, and we're talking somewhere around 1,500 to 2,000 people, all up, players and personnel, that even one breach could affect us in our uh, daily lives. So a bit to be uh, worked through. one three hundred seven three six. 736. The Yonex trolley bag is yours tonight. The two bottles of sunscreen, the first serve tennis sunscreen, throw in the cap as well. It's all yours. Just got to make a contribution to the show tonight, and you can take that uh, great uh, prize away. Also, coming up, Daniel Medvedev is a star. There's no doubt. Won the ATP finals a week ago. His last two years, let's say three years, have been absolutely outstanding on the tour. To go from the mid 60s in the rankings to the world's top four. It's been on the back of a lot of hard work and a great team. Now, he has a coach called Gilles Savara, the Frenchman, who uh, obviously uh, has got lots of plaudits. He was coach of the year uh, last year, and he's often getting a fair bit of camera time in the player box. But we're going to speak to a little bit later on tonight, a little secret weapon in the Medvedev camp, who might just be that 1% or 2% difference in elevating him past a pack of players. So uh, when we talk about how many people can come out with the players as part of their entourage. Uh, There's a lot of good people that will be left home, but there are people in tennis who don't always travel and who probably prefer not to travel because that's one of the the tough parts of being involved in the industry is that you're away from your family for considerable weeks. But there's a lot of people who will simply uh, work from home and uh, contribute to a player's uh, rise in the game. And grassroots, we've talked about it certainly all year. Have a chat tonight to a guy who's heavily involved in the game up in New South Wales, uh, that's an interesting situation. We'll discuss that a little bit later on as well. Uh, tennis Direct, Australia's favourite online tennis store. Fast delivery, uh, great prices, free delivery on orders over $150. You can log on to their website, tennisdirect.com.au. Uh, use that promo code, first serve 10 First serve listeners can get a 10% discount 
uh, store wide. Great to have Tennis Direct on board. But uh, happy to take out your calls after the break. One three hundred seven three six seven three six here on the first serve. GLG Green Life Group, your open space specialists, celebrating twenty five years of industry experience and exceptional service at glgcorp.com. The first serve, your home of tennis. Brett Phillips in the chair, our final show for uh, 2021, 300, 736, 736 to be a part of it. Got the Yonex uh, trolley bag, got the uh, two bottles of sunscreen, the first serve tennis uh, sunscreen. Great to have uh, Sunblessed sunscreens on board with us. Make sure you check out their website. Not only uh, tennis, lots of sports, lawn bowls, cricket, golf for the summer, specifically designed for uh, those particular sports. Emil uh, joins us in Northcote. Emil, welcome. G'day, Bip. How are you going? Going well. Um, yeah, just... More on the uh, on the Oz Open, and especially the effects of the like the hotshots age kids. So that the real juniors and the ones that will probably be, you know, usually the ball kids and what have you. As soon as the Open gets pushed back, it's going to be a bit more of a struggle with uh, with that age trying to get on court when schools at the same time. And hopefully, it doesn't sort of impact too much on the uh, enjoyment of those kind of kids because they they're probably the ones that get one of the biggest kicks out of the Oz Open. Yeah, that, that's the tough part about pushing it back is uh, the personnel around the Australian Open. So, yeah, I mean, the ball kids, and there was a story on uh, the weekend that they might have to bring a, a few of the older ball kids uh, who are past uh, the school age out of retirement. I mean, at the US Open, they actually have uh, older, middle-aged, I'm not sure the exact age of the gentleman I see at the US Open. They're, they're still nimble enough and they get around. It's a big job. You've got to be, uh, you've got to be on the ball uh, being a ball kid, but... Yeah, disappointing, isn't it? It's not going to, I mean, by pushing it back, it's not going to feel like a normal Australian Open in terms of uh, the crowds that flock there. That's certainly going to be reduced. Kids and families who are going to be, um, yeah, certainly uh, jeopardised from going because, uh, you know, families are uh, back in normal sort of work uh, vogue, if you like, and, you know, all the drivers are, uh, are volunteers. A lot of them are school teachers who drive the Kia cars and ferry uh, the international tennis family all over Melbourne. So, yeah, it's uh, going to be a tough one. They're going to have to um, think a bit creatively in terms of uh, recruiting some uh, personnel uh, to get the Australian Open functioning and operational from uh, day to day. Good on you, Emil. Thank you for that. Uh, Mark's on the line. Mark, welcome. Hey, BP. I'm calling in here with a prediction for 2021. Go on. Look into your crystal ball for me. What do you got? Well, I've been watching Tanasi Kokonakis on the live stream in the last month or so playing here in Melbourne, and I think he's going to burst back onto the scene, straight back into the top 100 in 2021. Well, you know what? If his body stays totally intact, it's fingers crossed. He has been through a wretched run and had the glandular fever this year on top of all the injuries that he's had. I've got no doubt. I agree with you. He'll shoot back up very, very quickly. He'll have a... I'm not sure. What would be the situation? I'm just trying to think of his protected ranking because he's had so many injuries along the way. I'm sure that would still uh, still come into play for him. I think that he's currently ranked at about 250. I think he's used all of his protected rankings okay. I was just trying um, to think of that. Yep. from when he was inside the top 100. So yep. he'll have to go off that new ranking, which he currently sits at. So we'll see how he goes. But I'm, I've got big hopes for him next year. Yeah, well, he's won uh, just about everything. So he's been in Melbourne uh, for quite some time, being an Adelaide boy, but he, he got across to uh, Melbourne. He's been pretty much parked here, training uh, he's been playing these UTR events, which has been great for the Australian players just to play and earn some money uh, across mainly the Eastern Seaboard the last uh, few months. So, yeah, he's a beautiful ball striker. You know, he's, he's a very fine talent. We saw that at a very young age. And, you know, he's taken some scalps, but he's never had a good run at it, has he, with, uh, with injury. It's been just a really, really tough run. So fingers crossed uh, this time, uh, Mark, that he can 
uh, put together one year of continuous uh, tennis. That'd be nice from a Thanasi uh, Kokonakis point of view. Uh, really appreciate your call. Just one off the text. We don't know how lucky we are as Melbourneians to have something like the Australian Open. I've been guilty of taking it for granted. That will uh, just rock up every year, but this year has really put things into perspective and it's made me appreciate everything, especially the big events, that little bit more. The effort put in by everyone from the officials, the players, uh, volunteers, and, and right down to the fans is a true testament to what we are as a society. Um, I didn't write that, but it's from Brett who's uh, sent that in. So, yeah, well said. I mean, we're craving for a big sporting event, aren't we? Uh, having missed so much uh, great live sport in uh, in 2020. So uh, the government certainly wants the Australian Open to happen. Uh, they've got a great partnership with Tennis Australia. I mean, they're pumping in millions and millions of dollars to the continued redevelopment of uh, Melbourne Park to ensure that the Australian Open never leaves here. I think that deal goes through to about 2036. Uh, uh, but at the end of the day, the health and safety of everyone is of... Uh, uh, absolute uh, paramount priority. Uh, let's move on to our chat. Happy to take some more calls uh, throughout the show. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. But rewind a week ago, Russian Daniel Medvedev salutes at the ATP finals in London, uh, finishes the year as the world number four. And what a three-year rise he's had from 65 to four in the world. Nine titles, 185 matches played, 130 victories. Three Masters 1000 titles, ATP finals champion, Grand Slam finalist, at last year's US Open, coached by the Frenchman, uh, Gilles Savara, through this incredible rise, who was named last year as the ATP Coach of the Year. Also part of the Medvedev team from around halfway through this rapid rise, a guy not getting any camera time but playing his part to give the Russian an edge. Data analyst uh, Fabrice Sabato from uh, Switzerland. He shared his story with me about his journey from player to coach to data analysts working with some of the world's best players. Much more people interested in stats right now, but being a player and a coach is nothing uh, unusual. Maybe the, then the statistician part is maybe the thing a bit more different, I would say. So yeah, I, I was just a player. I, I mean, I played at the national level. I never wanted to be a professional player myself. I never dreamed about it and I, I even never thought about it. But just like, I, would, I like to play with my friends. But still, I did it at the national level. I even went to some countries like Argentina to train. Still, when I was there, I was much more a tourist than a tennis player, to be honest with you. So, and then at the age of 20, I started coaching. I started dreaming about, dreaming big, I would say, dreaming about being a coach on the tour. And I was 20, 21. So now I'm 41. So it was 20 years ago. Uh, I had this dream about being a professional coach on the ATP tour. And it started as a coach. I started to have areas project that led me to national project because my players could do well at the national level pretty fast and then I did that for let's say maybe seven years I wanted to go the next step I would say uh, to the international level I was 27 I would say I had an opportunity to go with a French player and we went to Tunisia in Tunisia I met a coach from the French Federation and he introduced me to stats it was in 2007 he was writing down things on with the pen and paper or whatever it was like when I was like wow this is the thing I, I just realized that this is a perfect tool because if I write down things to know that I was not a professional tennis player myself so I need to have an extra weapon at this level because I don't have the reputation I mean uh, former professional players easily introduced in that world me I was a national player so it's easy for me to, to coach at the national level but not international so then I had this opportunity I met that coach he showed me how to do it and on the same day I was starting my first match you worked with a lot of ITF players who are on that journey to try and go towards the, the top of the game 
tell us about being on that rung of the tour where it, it, you know, it's tough to, you know, to yeah. make a breakthrough and to rise up the rankings and in, in a game of such small margins. Tell us a bit about that journey. I, so that, that came right after that. So after that, I had the study, I started working with statistics and I had other opportunities in Switzerland with international players, not well ranked. One had no ATP point and the other girl, she was 450. I started being a, a coach on the tour and working with my stats, but I was totally alone. I mean, at that stage, uh, you know, statistics, people were more laughing about statistics than saying it's interesting. It was, a, it was my own thing with my player. Me, I had my weapon, I had my tool and I used it at um, ITF in this jungle of the ITF. But I, be- I, I still had the belief at that stage that with my coaching, with stats, I could make it to the top with any kind of player. I was a yeah. bit naive for three years i had this this thing to say okay i'm gonna make it by myself with my tool and with myself with everything and actually it didn't turn out this way it's much more difficult than that that you say but uh, i mean it's good to be a dreamer and it's good to be a bit naive and uh, that's exactly what i was sometimes in life we all need just a breakthrough an introduction you meet the coach of uh, Gilles simon 2019 uh, i think you're at a coaching course this was luck that i met that guy at that stage of my career i would say uh, I-, I was a bit lost just before uh, meeting him i was thinking to myself oh i have all the weapon i, I am ready to be on the tour because i've been working for 11 12 years with statistics I'm ready to go there and I'm ready to show what I have. And he gave me that opportunity out of nowhere because I was not even expecting an opportunity from him. I, I wanted to connect his knowledge with stats without even thinking about Gilles Simon. I was not here taking the opportunity, actually. And he told me, oh, why don't you come on the tour to show us what you have? Oh, I didn't think about it. Okay, let's let's do it. Let's do it. And, and the week after, everything was aligned. I could jump on the plane next week. I had an agent in Canada invited me to his place. And my girlfriend went on holiday to her mother with my daughter. So, wow, I said, it's perfect. So I came to Montreal with my backpack, let's say, knowing everybody with stats. And I was a bit lost there. And then he introduced me to three coaches. In the three coaches was Gilles Savara. I showed him what I was doing. I said, okay, this is stats, blah, blah, blah. I explained the whole thing. And, it, and I could feel, I could see that he was really interested. And then he, all of a sudden he tell me, okay, why don't we try the first match of Daniela in Montreal against Kyle Edmund? And I said, of course, I, I mean, I'm here for that. I mean, so I came here to show my work. So of course I want to do it. And that's what we did. It was a good scoreline, wasn't it? 6-3, 6-love. You're off to a great start. Yeah, that, that, that's the thing. Is like, And uh, I think it, it had to, to start this way. I tell him we, we make the game plan on this match. So Daniel played the match. I think he respected more or less the game plan. And after the match, the coach just called me and said, oh, we have to talk. And he was really interested at that stage. He said, okay, now let's do the next. Can we do the next match? Can we do it? And then all of a sudden, from being alone with my backpack in Montreal in the players' lounge, I was in the final of a Master thousand with Gilles. I was not close to him, but I was in the stadium uh, enjoying some cocktails, actually, and it was really, really fun. So it's a great story. And then Gilles invited me for the next week to be uh, in the hotel with him, to share the hotel, because it was a lot of money for me. It was my own investment. And I said, of course, I want to go to Cincinnati. I'm Mm -hmm. here for that once again. And we go to Cincinnati together. Daniel (laughs) won Cincinnati, and we're preparing every matches. And so that that was the perfect start. Goes on to make uh, the final of the US Open in an incredible match against Nadal. But 
I mean, in your own words, you've said, I gave my contribution so that Daniil could improve his performance by the marginal 1% that he needed to really break through. So for the people listening to our chat, try and take us inside just the consultation you were having with Gilles Savara, the coach of Daniel Medvedev. And was there any direct conversations with Daniil or is there direct communication with him or no. is it just purely with the coach? To be honest, I was a bit hidden. The coach kept me on his side. It was that okay. he said, we're going to do that together because he doesn't want during the tournament to, to talk to Daniel about that. He, he just told him that uh, I had somebody with me for, I think for, even for statistics, maybe he told him, but nothing else. And so, no, I never had a chat with Daniel, never. All, all the match preparation, I, I do them myself and give them to the coach. And then the coach does whatever he wants in a way. Hopefully he's going to respect the plan, but uh, how can I control it? If the player respect me and knows me, it's much better. But if it's not the case, it, this is not the end of the world for me. So that was, that was like this. I was just talking with Gilles. We had a great relationship and we were preparing every match. The use of data, we're seeing it, you know, obviously more and more, you know, sports science has evolved. I mean, preparing an athlete in general now has, you know, just gone to another level as we keep ticking through the years. Yes. Take us inside what impact you believe you've had on Daniil. I mean, obviously we watched the player, we've watched him emerge. He's finished 2020 strong. He's a legitimate member of the top four or five. I think, you know, he's certainly got the capability to win a Grand Slam. He's an intriguing guy. He seems like a really intelligent guy who obviously thinks about his tennis and you can see the strategists out there but what impact do you think you're able to have to maybe give that edge can you try and describe that for us if with the match preparation you can give one extra percent to the player each match because he maybe knows where to serve or maybe he knows what are the game pattern he has to play from the back of the court this is the extra edge I can probably bring to a team so then you know I don't even know if he noticed it and it's impossible to, to measure it we never know what would have been uh, Daniel in 2000 2019 without the match preparation with stats. I mean, let's say maybe it would have been exactly the same. So it goes totally against stats. Or maybe it would it would have lost a quarterfinal and the second round. I, I say whatever. But I mean, if I have a strong belief that stats can help, I have to go through this way. I have to say, well, yes, it helped. Otherwise, I, mean, I just say, no, I'm a useless guy doing useless stats. So no, I think it helped. Can you feel it? So you're watching his match after you've done the match prep along with Jill's and then you're watching the match exactly. actually unfold. Can you you feel a bit of your own input yeah, yeah. watching that match unfold? Actually, from Montreal to Shanghai, yes, I could really, I could really feel that the match preparation was uh, really well done. From me to Daniel with Gilles Savara in the middle, I think that was perfect. I mean, I, I couldn't be more happy that because I was talking about things with Gilles, almost see them on the court with Daniel. So that was the first part. Then the second part from after Shanghai, when Daniel became a superstar, I think there was too many other things entering his, his mind emotionally for, for Daniel was, he was, I mean, he was burnt emotionally for me at the end all of a sudden didn't want to put the, the game plan from Gilles and, and I could see a totally difference from uh, Paris-Bercy it, it happened it started in Paris-Bercy until uh, the lockdown so that's the second phase where obviously I, I, I couldn't see my game plan anymore in, in what uh, Daniel was doing Daniel was doing exactly what he liked to do which is playing cross with the back end playing down the line with the forehand to go back to the back end cross battle that's the only thing more or less he was doing I mean at that stage at the Australian Open I had suggestion I told the uh, uh, Gilles uh, and we knew that Daniel was not with the game plan anymore we knew it he had to face Vavrinka and I told him I said I know well Vavrinka from last year because I worked with them in the trial and I knew the coach told me they changed something with the back end which was not working last year be careful with the back and cross. Be really careful with the back and cross. Don't play too too many back and cross in a row. And at the 
end of the match, he played 82% of backhand cross. And that, that just showed me that, okay, at the moment, Daniel is, I think emotionally was too much. And he just had to stick with what he could do at that stage. But the stats, I mean, in a way, it showed that stats said, don't go back and cross with Stan because he's much better than 2019. He did it and lost the match. I think he could have won, by the way, but he lost it in the end. So that, that's the only thing we remember is the winning or the losing in the end. We don't remember, say, oh, it was close. No, you lost. That, that would be the second part. And the third part is after the lockdown. After the lockdown, I really see a mix. So let's say in the second part, I was just charting the match, giving the results to Gilles, but it was much more, I think, to develop uh, Daniel than for the match preparation. Match preparation was on the side at that stage I could prove it but still Gilles wanted to have data about everything so our way was good way was bad what happened in the match he still wanted to have that it was much more to develop Daniel and from after the lockdown it was a mix I could see part of the game plan really he did it some other things absolutely not let's say for the, the serve direction Never, no, no serve direction anymore. And it works so well in the first phase. But then from the back of the court, I could see the influence again of the game plan. And especially in the in the master, uh, we could see the two last matches against the team. There was a game plan that Jill also told me what he wanted. And then also we're working together. It's not me deciding. And al also against Nadal, we had a game plan and it worked pretty well. But a bit of luck. I mean, it's one set down two times. Okay, <laughs> you cannot say that. He was one set down. So if the stats have to work well for me they have to start in the first set if you lose the first set and then you win in three sets I have to be honest with stats. For me, it's more emotionally that he, that he won these matches. Stats could have helped a little bit. I see a difference between, let's say, these three phases. Well, that is the voice of Fabrice Sabaro carving out a niche as a data analyst in professional tennis. For those that tune into our Crunching the Numbers weekly podcast, available through our website, thefirstserve.com.au. Host or co-host is Shane Leonage from Data Driven Sports Analytics, who works across tennis and cricket who uh, did tee up that chat with uh, Fabrice. And the pair will be launching a data package for coaches uh, together in 2021. We'll tell you more about that and on our website as it comes to hand. But we'll take more of your calls after the break. Got the Yonex bag, got the first serve tennis sunscreen, the cap, all to give away. Just give us a little something, a prediction, uh, a thought on this year. The Australian Summer of Tennis, one 736 736 to get involved. GLG Greenlife Group, your open space specialists. Celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia at glgcorp.com. The first serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back, Brett Phillips, uh, with you. I do know that one came through on the SMS, our final show of 2020, but will you have some special edition uh, first serve episodes throughout the Oz Open and afterwards? Summer used to be the cricket, but I associate the long, hot, late nights with tennis and a stubby now. There you go, tennis and a stubby. Plenty of having a probably a Chardonnay, but uh, a few might be having uh, a stubby. Yeah, look, we'll, uh, we'll certainly, once Tennis Australia and everyone else works out the dates, um, we'll tell you about our coverage and the return of the first serve for 2021. So just keep an eye on our website and our socials over the next uh, few weeks. Uh, Peter's in uh, beautiful Phillip Island. Wouldn't mind being down there myself. G'day, Peter. G'day, boys. Thanks for having me. Uh, welcome. What do you got for us? Well, two things I'd like to discuss briefly. The first one is for us to continue to be and to be back to where we used to be as a world, uh, if you like power, I don't like that word, but we, we've got to get rid of this artificial grass. It is not helping our tennis. Do you agree with that one? Well, I don't know if you heard a chat 
uh, Peter, with uh, Jeremy Delaney. It was on our show, uh, going back quite a few I didn't uh, weeks tonight. ago. I didn't know. Yeah, well, if you go back... Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it was on our show probably about a month or five weeks ago, and Jeremy played Futures. He's been over to Europe, and uh, that's his big beef, is that we've got uh, too many courts of that nature around Australia that is certainly not helping the uh, the player development side. Yep, let's duplicate the French clay, let's duplicate, you know, the grass and the and the hard courts of the US and Australian and so on, because that makes sense, and it gives our, our juniors uh, an extra help because, of course, we're isolated, so we already miss out with some of the, you know, the travel for the juniors and so on. And the second one, thanks for, thanks for allowing me to, the second one is, in the early days, I'm going back a bit now, is in the days of the Newcombs, the Roaches, the Labors and so on, they used to train with Percy Therese at uh, Sorrento, wherever it was, Sorrento and Rock. Right. And, and he was very, very hard on the discipline, on the diet, on the training. I wonder, and I realise times have changed. I realise it's, it's not how it used to be. But I wonder whether we can do more of that where we take kids in Melbourne, in the cities, in wherever, or in the country, Albury, whatever, yep. where we take them and we train them for two, three, four weeks at a time, on living diet, routine, how to lose, how to be graceful, how to get fitter, all of this, like like the therapies used to do, where we have that high level. If we're not going to be quite on the pace ability-wise, we can have the stamina, we can have the, you know, the ability to dig in, the ability to be a good loser, and so on. Yeah. You know? No, it's, look, it's a great point, Peter. I really appreciate you calling in and make sure you call in in 2021 when we're uh, back on the air. And, look, we'll continue to dissect the grassroots game and we'll bring you a chat uh, very shortly about uh, grassroots, particularly up in uh, New South Wales. But, yeah, look, at, I mean, I haven't got time to uh, certainly go on about it in any more depth uh, tonight, uh, but it's certainly an emotive topic. Uh, player development, grassroots uh, tennis. Uh, just one on the SMS. Tennis is joking, aren't they? Most Victorians have been through enough and a more worried about getting back to work and earning some money to catch up on things. It should be cancelled until a vaccine is available, not bringing all these players in from hot spots all over the globe and risking a third wave. So I understand that text. Absolutely, I understand it. But I think it can coexist. And that's what Tennis Australia is trying to convince the government. And the government is probably taking some convincing at the moment. They're having a very cautious approach. New York, uh, uh, by and large, made it work in a much more COVID hotspot than what uh, Melbourne is. So I think they can coexist, but I understand... Uh, the sentiment of that text. My prediction, the King, Roger Federer, to come back and win the Australian Open. If he doesn't play, I'd love Rafa to win here again. He deserves it. Always been a great friend to Australia. He'd love to see Nadal win all the slams twice. He's only won the Australian Open once back in uh, 2009. So it'd be great for Rafa to be able to uh, conquer uh, Melbourne Park. But I think all of us in tennis would love to see the great Roger Federer win one more Grand Slam title. I reckon we'll slip in a break and we'll come back and uh, have a listen to a, a really interesting chat with uh, Dave Commons, who is involved heavily in tennis up in New South Wales. And happy to take a couple of calls before we wind up. We'll announce a winner at 1300 736 736 to contribute. GLG Green Life Group, your market leader in commercial open space maintenance and management. Celebrating 25 years throughout Australia at glgcorp.com. The first serve. Your home of tennis. Well, this year on the show, we've put a focus more than ever on the grassroots of the game here in Australia. It's an emotive topic that stretches back many years, with many believing that Tennis Australia, with their centralised model and policies, are conducive to seeing the game really flourish like it should at that grassroots pathway level. 
Uh, certainly at Tennis Queensland, and as recent as last Tuesday, Tennis New South Wales, there appears to have been a bit of a shift of power at board level, with TA losing some control. At the Tennis New South Wales AGM, President Kim Warwick was ousted after a year earlier surviving a vote of no confidence. Three other board members were also replaced. Country uh, Tennis in New South Wales with 60% of the votes speaking up for their candidates. As someone mentioned to me, a grassroots United approach will win every time. Tennis New South Wales may have their first ever female president when that is decided on December 15th. The grassroots person putting a strong focus on the member associations. Uh, Dave Commons played uh, tennis as a junior, got into coaching at a young age and runs his own large academy up in Sydney, DCTA, and I spoke to him uh, earlier today. The members obviously want some serious change. I guess the general feel, I mean, speaking to operators, I can only speak on my behalf. The general feel is that there was frustration initially or ongoing. Some members felt disillusioned, the feeling of discontentment over the years, I guess, with the board. I guess it's more evident in the last two years now you've seen, I don't know if there's still a board member that was there from two years ago. It's been that much change since that that point in time. So, and I guess that feeling could come from, various sources as well from maybe um, not delegating funds openly over time and not being held accountable to it. Maybe members just feeling like, especially operators feeling like they're just taking insurance at times and seeing, I guess, funding go towards things like a lot of HR, a lot of non-tennis affiliated people gaining more employment, especially in New South Wales tennis. And I guess, you know, there is a general stigma around Tennis New South Wales and Tennis Australia with them having maybe not doing enough over the years. It's got to this point, I guess, where we're seeing a change from the top down and the proof will be in the pudding. Look, from my perspective, I do think this new board will, we're going to see large improvements, especially for rural areas, improvements in general infrastructure, uh, focus on operators and staff development, maybe a bit more and um, general improvement in in government relationships. I think I think they're key things that will definitely happen uh, amongst other things. We're noting the people that I know that are going on to the board now. So along with the uh, DCTA, you're also going to be heading back to your, your native Newcastle. We've, we've got a big tennis centre up there and just take us through what you're going to be doing with that. And that would, I think, come under, wouldn't it, Tennis New South Wales as, an, as sort of an affiliate centre? Yeah, that's correct. And that won't change too much because like I said, I do work with Tennis New South Wales. We'll just be an affiliated club. So that means we'd have to our member base would now be Tennis New South Wales members. We'd follow that line and that's the only changes we'd see. We'd have a better relationship, I guess, with Tennis Australia initiatives, one of which is working with another partner to bring in Access Tennis, which is a disability tennis program that's coming in and disadvantaged programs, things like that we can play around with because of the size of the facility and the scope of the facility and also because I want to do it has something to do with it as well. They're the changes that we'll see in relation to working closely with Tennis New South Wales being an affiliated club you've got some big plans it's a it's a huge center i mean newcastle as we know on the map of australia it's a, you know, it's a big place and a real sporting community uh, just take us inside this newcastle tennis center and just some of your your plans and and your ambitions well it's, it is a massive center i mean 15 to 20 years ago newcastle was a hub i don't know if you remember brett but those players getting spit out of their left, right and centre that all made top 500 ATP. And there hasn't been really a development pathway since then. Things have slowly trended backwards. And, and I guess my in my proposal that I put to them that I was very grateful to be successful for, I had a real focus on community and culture. And that's, that's what I've done with my academy in Sydney for the past eight years. We haven't followed Tennis Australia programs. 
per se. We have done, we followed a methodology that I, I guess I put together in Sydney where we have eight to 20 squads focused on certain aspects of tennis that I've taken internationally and from um, the domestic scene. Really focused on the kids and them on and off the court. And that's what I'll be bringing to Newcastle amongst a lot of other things, um, including changing the general aspect, our physical aspect of the club. Attempt to knock down the central wall in the centre, open the space up to a, a uh, movement section slash coffee shop slash um, office space slash workspace slash function area, all in one to draw the general public in and have tennis, the facility at large, be attractive, not just the sport itself. So that would be the first focus. And then, as I said in my initial statements, that I'd be trying to make tennis cool again. It's looked at as, as a heritage sport and it's not cool to play. It's not a surfing or or an AFL in Melbourne. In Newcastle, it's not, not amongst any pop culture sports whatsoever. So I think through various marketing strategies and um, program changes, social media influences, we have to get on top of those things and then kind of make tennis trendy again. I'll take full ownership of that because I don't see others doing that other than following Tennis Australia initiatives and leaning on those kind of things. I've never felt like I'm going to leave my business in others' hands, whether it's Tennis Australia, Tennis New South Wales, I'll engage the public to how I see fit. As I said in the intro, getting you on, and I was speaking to someone you know who's highly respected, who's been in the private sector, who's I know trying to really champion for change and I went through those as I was introducing you, the governance and responsibility and how that works across the sport. But one of the key points there was that the regions being responsible for regional programs is a big driver for change. The TA sort of look after the national stuff and the states are responsible for state policy. The regions look after regional programs. Do you agree with that as a way forward to drive change and and make sure this sport really flourishes in a country that's so diverse and in terms of population and and what the needs are for the the different areas around Australia? I do and I don't. I mean, like I said, the proof will be in the pudding. You can delegate regional committees to certain areas, but who are you delegating? Like, are these people going to be competent enough to do the job? And I think that could be the driver to whether they're successful or not. Do I agree with the structure? I I agree with anything that's changed right now. So yes, but whether I agree with the people that are in place or not is uh, the jury's still out on that. So if they bring in people with a, a vast business acumen with a mix of a little bit of tennis, I don't think that's right right now. I do think it has to be from a successful tennis operator perspective for the regional committees. They have a certain amount of pull and certainly understand how to deal with local council and local business and already have advantages there that I think is the right fit for right now. I'm not saying that long term. So the structure, yes, I agree with, but it all dependent on the people that are in place. So good luck to them for that. I hope it works. Leadership has been tested all over the world this year in these COVID times. I mean, politicians, sports administrators. I mean, how have you assessed the leadership of tennis during this sort of COVID eight or nine months that we've been in? It's different. I mean, I haven't focused on too much on what they've done because I, again, do things and myself and hold myself accountable to whatever I do and take ownership. But in saying that, you know, New South Wales has not had had it tough as, as Victoria. Well, I certainly feel for my peers down there. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. I'm getting smashed with people trying to get jobs for the Newcastle Centre that are coming from Melbourne. In saying that, I would say it's adequate what they they have done, um, but with definite room for improvement. But you can't be too judgmental on a year like this. That's something that I've learned as well, and I won't be passing judgment on Tennis Australia, Tennis New South Wales. 
the advice that I got, I did have a friend of mine that works for Tennis New South Wales reach out. He did offer the online advice with mental health that was on there, some financial advice on COVID-affected businesses. But outside of that, I haven't heard anything else. We haven't had the problems that you guys have had, Brett. So adequate room for improvement is how I'd put it. Well, that is the voice of uh, Dave Commons. He runs a big tennis academy in Sydney. He's going to expand his operation into uh, a big tennis centre in uh, Newcastle. And yeah, some really interesting change with Tennis New South Wales and Tennis Queensland have also gone through a little bit of a, a board change, but there's been enough correspondence uh, certainly uh, sent to me in 2020 to know that it's worth us as a show representing all the stakeholders in tennis to d- dig a little deeper. And I've stated before, I'm not at the coalface of the game at a club association level, like many of you listening. I'm not inside the four walls of Tennis Australia making their decisions. So there is curiosity for me to understand the situation and certainly uh, have transparency. Now, to all the passionate tennis people who listen to this show, use radio as a platform. We are here uh, as a, the only dedicated tennis show on Australian radio. And if you haven't found us this year, find us in 2021. Jot this number down, one 736 736 because I'd love you to set the agenda for next year. Those that are passionate about that grassroots development space, and we'll continue to cover that on our show. Peter at Phillip Island, great call earlier. Going to give you the Yonex bag uh, the two bottles of first serve tennis sunscreen, the cap, that'll all be coming your way. We'll make contact uh, with you uh, after the show. And we thank, of course, Tennis Direct, Australia's favourite online tennis store. Fast delivery, great prices, free delivery on orders over 150 bucks. Just get to their website, tennisdirect.com.au. That first serve 10 promo code is what you need to use. Thank you for your company in 2020 on the first serve. We'll be back next year and hopefully a decision soon on the Australian Open. Take care. Have a good night. Hit them well. Subscribe to The First Serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to the live shows you miss on a Monday night. Plus our weekly themed podcast content, including Aussies Only, Crunching the Numbers and In the Huddle, produced by Study and Play USA. Plenty of content to listen to weekly. Subscribe to The First Serve, your home of tennis. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91.